Essentially, I wanted to share something that will be evergreen, that will stay here long after I'm, I'm gone. I think something that we are all striving to do is we're trying to leave a legacy that will impact people after we're gone. And the idea of this podcast came from, from me just kind of messing around on social media a couple of years ago and uh, taking a quote or a picture that I found inspirational or thought-provoking and just reposting it with my little two cents on the bottom. And I called it my one last thought and it was the last thing that I posted before I went to bed. And uh, it got a lot of good responses and good feedback and I, I realized maybe there's a podcast there. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, this week we have an interesting guest because he has a podcast but is also a collegiate basketball coach, which is a little bit different, hasn't written a book, but really wanted to create a legacy in the podcast world around wisdom and one last thought. So our guest is Edo singer and we'll come to that here in a moment so one of the things that Ido was actually born in Israel and made his way over to the US where he is now coaching college ball but he had a lot of things that he had to overcome and one of the things we talk about in the show which is important for all of us is you know what's your why why are you here what are you passionate about are you clear about who you are and the direction you're going and so one of the new courses that we have put together and it's not new in the sense that it's new to being around. It's just new in the online world is what do you really value? And so we put this course together around our values assessment to help you know that you know that you know. There's so many people out there that are unclear. And when Brendan Bouchard wrote the book around habits of high performers, the number one habit of high performers is clarity. And so if I went and I called you right now from the show and said, what are your core values? Are you living them? What are the needs and fears that are linked around that? Could you answer that question? Do you know what the answer is? And so we take you through a step-by-step -step journey. Not only do you get the assessment to help clarify what your core behavioral motivational values are, but we take you through exercises so that you can make sure your life really reflects that. Not from a self-centered point of view, but from a self-honoring point of view. So with that, uh, as always, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, please share it, pass it on, leave a positive comment. If you know somebody who would be an amazing guest, please let us know. If you have some questions about one of the podcasts and the content, then we'd love to hear from you. So thanks again. Thanks again for listening. So here's our show with Ido Singer. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Well, we have a very interesting guest today because this is an individual who has been in the Israeli Air Force and now is a coach at the collegiate, collegiate level. And so we're kind of keen to hear his story about how this all unfolded. Welcome to the show, Ido Singer. Ido, welcome to uh, Secrets of Success. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. And as we do with uh, our show, we always like to hear the journey of the individual. So here you are. You're in uh, North Carolina, uh, a basketball coach, yet you were a former member of the Israeli Air Force. So hello. 
how did that all happen? So let's let's sort of get the uh, growing up years and just uh, and being from Israel, just sort of your story there before you came here. Sure. So uh, so you know, magic of birth. I I was born in Israel and I grew up over there. I um, grew up loving basketball. I started playing at a very young age, and I was fortunate enough to to be good enough to keep going and uh, eventually play at the professional level starting at the age of 16. And wow. um, as everyone else in Israel, once you're 18, you turn into um, army property and you serve. And so I did serve for three years uh, from the age of 18 to 21. I served in the Israel Air Force at different capacities and um, tried to keep playing basketball, keep that passion going. And so I, I did have a period of my life where I was still playing basketball and serving in the military. And I think that's that's where the overlap happened between the ages of 18 and 21. Mm. I just and, want to uh, scroll back, Ido, a little bit. Is, sure. Uh, where did the passion for basketball come from? It's, I, I'm not sure if it's the most popular sto- uh, sport in Israel. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, maybe the second most popular, soccer being the, the most popular one, and probably in the world at this point. But... I feel the passion came from from nowhere. I remember my mom taking me to this basketball class, after school class at the, the local Y, and uh, I didn't really want to play. And I, I always kind of like to tell the story that my first glorious basketball move was catching a pass, taking about 17 steps without dribbling the ball and throwing the ball over the basket. And so I didn't fall in love with it immediately. Well, it they do that fun. in the NBA all the time, and then uh, they, don't, they, they don't call it. I, I watched yeah, the replay as, as the guy takes four steps and nobody calls traveling. I said, hello. Even exactly. I know that one. <laughs> so there you go. So there was a little bit of potential there. Yeah, uh, for so. sure. For sure. Now, what did your parents do, Ido? Uh, so my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She, she helped raise us, of course, and, and took care of everything at home. And my father was, a, uh, was an engineer. He worked with, uh, with plastic. He worked in the plastic industry, and he was an engineer for a very long time. Cool. And if you were to describe sort of your family and childhood growing up, positive, negative, in between, a mix of both, what would you say? I feel, yeah, I feel it was very positive. I feel like we didn't have much, but us kids, we didn't know about it. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that I, I love uh, as a parent myself, I we don't have a lot. We're not wealthy. We we make do with what we have, and we make sure that our kids come first. And I feel like they don't know how much we might be struggling sometimes, or how hard it is to to keep everything going. But I grew up in an environment that was very supportive. They allowed us to do everything that we wanted to do within reason, and we never really felt how hard my parents had to work to make sure that we have mm. everything that they provided for us. So it was very good. Cool. Now, here you are. You mentioned that you were starting to play basketball. Did I hear correctly, professionally at 16? Yes. Yeah. Now, how's that even possible? Because, you know, if we think about North America, where you're at now, I don't know of any pro leagues until you get a little bit older. Yeah, it's it's different in, um, you know, in Israel and in Europe and in these areas. So there, there are feeder clubs. So every professional club will have a youth club. And uh, as you get older within that youth club or, or as you go to more like a JV club, you keep moving up. And if you're good enough, uh, you may be able to, to sit on the bench for the, uh, for the professional team as early as you're good enough to do so. And so I was able to sit on the bench at, at 16 and just 
absorb that kind of experience. And, and so what was that like? What was that like for you? For you having passion over basketball, and at that young age, being put into that environment. Describe that to the listeners. What that was like, both positive and maybe on the other side. It, it was surreal. Uh, I mean, I was sitting on the bench, and I was able to play with a former NBA player. And for a 16-year-old who just watched this NBA player a couple of years ago on TV, waking up at 4 a.m. to to catch a game because of the time difference, I couldn't believe it. it you know, you're trying to be professional, but you're 16, so you're a little bit of a fanboy for a moment there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's surreal. It's it's very uh, it's amazing. Mm. And then, how did the other players uh, treat you as a, a person who's 16 and they're in their 20s or even 30s? It was great. It was a great experience. I was the little brother. Everyone wanted to uh, to take care of me. You know, they've gone through the same thing a few years back uh, to a certain extent. So they understand where where I was in the moment, and they understand what they needed when they were in my shoes. Mm, so cool. they were trying to provide that for me. It's nice to have sort of older brothers to uh, nurture you, mentor you, take care of you. And just for curiosity, for the audience's sake, what position do you play? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm six five with shoes and I played power forward. So uh, for for the ones who don't really know basketball, I was about five to seven inches too short for my position. And uh, at six five, that was a challenge. At six five, yes. Yeah, that's, uh, I have a son-in-law who's six five. You know what? I'm <laughs> like five nine. Six five is still tall. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a point guard right now, and I was playing in the post against 6'10", 6'11", 6'9", so definitely undersized. Well, okay. Everything <laughs> is relative, my friend. But, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, you're in the Israeli uh, Air Force. What were some of the things you learned there? I mean, service is required in Israel, service is required in Singapore, both places uh, – well, I haven't been to Israel, but I've been to Singapore. So in that environment, what did, what were some of the things that you were learning? I mean, sports requires discipline and practice and those things. Mm-hmm. But what did you learn in the Air Force as you had required service to do there? I think right off the bat, you learned that there's a chain of command. And people have worked really hard to gain what they have within that chain of command. And you have to understand as someone who's coming in there, how to um, interact with the different chains of command and not to jump over and try and talk to someone who's above your immediate supervisor. You have to respect the chain of command. You have to adhere to certain rules and certain procedures and that there are, there are consequences that you may not have had consequences before as you were growing up, but in the army and the military, there's definitely, there are definitely consequences and uh, you learn that pretty quickly. And what were some of those consequences, if you want to share that with the audience? Yeah, of course. I mean, there, there wasn't anything, you know, there's no hazing or anything like that. But the consequences could be physical. They could make you run. They could make you carry more weight. Uh, if we were doing an endurance run with, uh, with a certain amount of weight on you and you were lagging, you might end up with more weight. You just have to figure it out. You have to tough it out. You have to figure it out. And you have to keep up. And you have to do all of that while being away from home, being 18 years old, having a, a rifle with you for the first time in your life. And, you know, there's a lot of responsibility. I've seen people around me lose their rifle. You can end up in prison for that. So there's, they're thrusting you in a lot of, into a lot of responsibility right away. And, and you have to sink or swim. They'll help you. But you have to, you have to pull your mm-hmm. own weight 
for sure. Now, in addition to that, what were some of the personal disciplines that were beneficial for you for life that you learned in that environment? Uh, yeah, I feel like I was uh, I was in a certain bubble where I where I grew up. I, I knew people from my town, from my area, and yes, I played some basketball and we moved around to play. But in the when, when I first joined the the Air Force, I was all of a sudden far away from home with new uh, with new people that I've never interacted with. Maybe some new ethnicities, uh, people from different backgrounds, and it really made me figure out how to um, how to better cooperate or better understand people that don't share the same values or maybe the same backgrounds as me. So it, it, push, it pushes you to, to stretch and to adapt. And, and so I feel like that might have been the most beneficial thing that I've gained from, from my service. Mm. So you do your service, which you I think you shared was three years. Uh, mm. Then what happened after that? Now, were you still... Uh, able to be a pro basketball player, or was that done? I felt like I was um, I was pushing it for a year or two after that. I was playing, but I wasn't very much in love with the game anymore, and I felt kind of disenchanted with it. And I've always wanted to move to the States. That was always a thing for me. My brother moved here after his service, and I always wanted to move to the States. So at the age of 23, I decided that I'm not playing basketball anymore, and I'm packing my things, and I'm moving to San Diego. Now, where did the disenchantment for basketball? You you love this game. All of a sudden, it uh, evaporated. What happened there? I, I feel it's a combination of being um, being kind of worn down. Like I said, at the age of 16, I was playing uh, professionally, but I was also training with a national team. I was playing with a, uh, my club team and with my high school team. And so, being a high school you know, a high school student having to balance four different teams plus academics plus everything at home responsibilities, I was getting very, very, very worn down. And so I think if it started there and then, you know, not being able to keep the momentum of my development as a basketball player going and I had to stunt everything at 18 to 21, I felt coming out that I'm not where I needed to be. I'm too short for my position. I'll have the skill set that I need for my position. And so two years later, I've decided that, it, you know, I'm not going to make it to the NBA. I'm not going to become rich from basketball anymore. And uh, it's time to move on and do something else. Mm. And what prompted your brother to move uh, halfway across the world? What was driving that motivation for him and then subsequently you? Yeah, for my brother, it was a job. He was, um, he was recruited by IBM back in the late 90s, I believe. And uh, he's, a, he's a computer guy. I, I, to this day, not really, I'm not really sure what he's doing exactly, what his job is, but he's, a, he's been a computer guy for, for a long time, 30 years. And he moved to New York for a job, um, married you know, his wife. His wife from Israel moved with him, his girlfriend at the time. And they built a life there. And I've always admired what they were able to accomplish. And it's always been a dream of mine. So I wanted to kind of follow in his footsteps. Now, how much older is he? He's about 10, 10 years older than me. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, when you mentioned he moved and did all of that, there seemed to be a bit of an age difference. Yes. So that's great. Now, your brother's in New York, and then you go to the West Coast. What, you'd like yeah. because it was warmer or, or what? <laughs> it, it's funny. I, I've, uh, I made friends with, uh, 
with a couple of people um, on the West Coast because I was visiting a friend of mine who played with me. Uh, he was in L.A., and I was going to make a pit stop in San Diego because I knew these two guys, these two brothers uh, who lived there. I made a pit stop in San Diego that was going to be a weekend, turned into two weeks, and I just fell in love with San Diego. And wow. um, I loved everything there. I loved their group of friends, and they kind of said, hey, if you wanted to come out and move out here, I think, you, you know, we think you'd love it. And I agreed. And uh, then I made all the arrangements to move there, and they both got accepted to um, to law school on the East Coast. So here I am moving to San Diego and, and starting a life over there pretty much on my own. But I, I loved it. I really loved it. So when you came over, what did you start doing in terms of profession? I, I had to go to school. So I was on a student visa, and so I went to school full-time and just trying to get my academics going, that was my main focus. So I really didn't coach or do anything to, to further my career um, where it is right now for about four years, four or five years of, of my life. Mm. And then uh, what degree did you uh, get? So I started with marketing and I ended up uh, a few years later finishing my degree online uh, in psychology. So I have a psychology degree. Well, there you go. That's, well, it is marketing and psychology. They are together for sure. Pretty so you, you finished school. What are you doing for work in the, in, in the interim as a student? So as a student, I wasn't really allowed to work. Uh, right. As an international student, you're not allowed to work. So it was, it was a struggle. I had to do all kinds of different jobs. I was either mowing lawns or doing um, or, or, you know, doing some kind of, uh, like, I was working for a moving company. I was working at a dollar store, getting paid under the table. I hope Uncle Sam is not listening to all of this. But, yes, all kinds right. of jobs like that. And, and you just have to make ends meet. And um, for a while there, I was kind of drifting. I didn't really uh, know what I was going to do with my life. Mm. So uh, you finish that, then what? You Obviously, you weren't sent back to Israel. Somehow or other, mm -hmm. you were able to stay. So how did that happen? <laughs> Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I, as long as I was in school full time and I was working towards my degree, I was fine to stay. And uh, after two years in San Diego, I decided to move to New York and be closer to family, closer to my brother, and continue my uh, my academics there. And and so I did that for a while, and then um, and then I met I met a person that I I ended up, um, you know, I ended up with. Um, we ended up getting married, and. Um, that that didn't last very long, unfortunately. But but you know, fast forward a few years, I was able to stay in the country because of uh, because of me being able to um, you know to me being married to this person was allowing me to stay in the country and continue working towards uh, towards my dreams, towards my goals. And that's when uh, you know I started coaching. That's when when that bug actually caught me again. I started coaching younger levels, and, um, and started really falling back in love with the game. Now, where did you start this uh, coaching career? In New York or down where you are now? In New York, yeah. I started in New York, and, um, you know, I, I've, it, it, it's fun. It, it's fun for me to talk about that because I've coached, you know, at all levels at this point. But starting off in New York, I was coaching in people's backyards. I was coaching in, in the park. I was just – you know, just coaching anybody and, and everybody I could uh, I could impact and, you know, starting at the very, very young levels and work my way up to middle school and high school. And, and that was my start in New York with coaching. 
So for the audience benefit, uh, what, uh, what role do you have now as a collegiate coach? What are you doing so, here? Yeah, so at the moment I am, uh, I am in my third season as the assistant women's basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. It's a Division One school. I'm uh, with the women's team, and, and I love it. I've been coaching on the women's side pretty much ever since I started coaching. Cool. Now, you mentioned in your bio that you really got a hold of your why when you turned 40. Uh, tell us about that and why listeners should consider some of those thoughts there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I kind of alluded to that earlier, I, I was drifting for a while and um, spent my 30s doing all kinds of different things from bartending to to being a bouncer and all kinds of jobs that I, I you know, they were beneficial for me at the time, but didn't really move me forward towards what I really want to do. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Ever since I read uh, that book, Start With Why, I did a lot of soul searching and, and I always wanted my why to be other people's lives. You know, you hear all these inspirational things. I, I want to impact the world. I want to do this and that. And that's great for other people. But for me, what I came up with uh, was that my why is to create. I've realized that I love creating things, whether it's uh, better players, better people, better processes at work, better communications, or through the podcast that I that I've created, you know, creating a platform for people to share their thoughts, share their ideas. I'm always looking to create something new. And so, so for the purpose of the that, audience, sorry to interrupt there. Sure. Is share with the group your podcast name and where they can find out about it. Sure. So the podcast is called One Last Thought, and you can find it anywhere. It's, uh, it's a very short podcast. It's 10 minutes or less, and it's basically two people um, – Two people's thoughts on, on one particular subject cut up and mashed up together into a conversation that never really happened. And so it becomes one of those things where you, you come in with an idea of what you're going to hear, and uh, you, may, you may get out of it 10 minutes later with, uh, with something completely different. So, so yeah, that's, that's a, part of, a big part of my creation process. And, and yeah, I was, when I discovered that why, it was, it was very easy for me to, to figure out what I wanted to do. Mm. So what was the driving force behind the podcast? I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to be creative and support others and help them. Uh, but where did the podcast idea come from? The idea came from, essentially, I wanted to share something that will be evergreen, that will stay here long, past, long after I'm, I'm gone. Mm. And I think something that we are all striving to do is we're trying to leave a legacy that will impact people after we're gone. And the idea of this podcast came from, from me just kind of messing around on social media a couple of years ago and uh, taking a quote or a picture that I found inspirational or thought-provoking and just reposting it with my little two cents on the bottom. And I called it my one last thought, and it was the last thing that I posted before I went to bed. And uh, it got a lot of good responses and good feedback, and I, I realized maybe there's a podcast there. And so I started outsourcing people's different thoughts, and I, I just asked people one question. I just asked if you had one life lesson you can share with future generation, generations, what would that be? And so I get these answers, and I, I put them together, and, and that's, that's kind of my way of, of paying forward a lot of great wisdom from, uh, from other people. 
Mm. Well, thanks for doing that as a fellow podcaster, which you're on right at the moment. Yes. We, know how, we know how much effort and work that goes behind the scenes. Right. You know, a lot of times when you listen to this, just the whole team and the editing and the promotion and getting out there and the scheduling and the interviewing, it, there's a lot of effort that goes with it. Uh, yet at the same time, you, it's a medium that you can just basically do what you need or want from a calling point of view. Absolutely. And, you know, as a, as a passion project, it is a passion project for me. It's not anything that, you know, I have monetized, but I always said that passion projects are done when everything else is done. And so we kind of jump in there at the end of the day, or at least I do, and I end up sitting there until 1 or 2 a.m. editing. You know, you have to love it. Otherwise, it's, it's really hard to, to put everything in, into it that you need to. So mm -hmm. I definitely love it. Well, that's for sure. And one of the things that um, you mentioned in your notes that you sent to us is that there were some lessons that you've learned by hosting the podcast. Well, so what are some of these lessons that you have picked up from yourself or from your guests over these years that you've been doing the podcast? There are so many, Ken. It, it's hard to pick. Um, I feel like there are, you get there are to, little... Though. You get, I get to pick, though. <laughs> You're right. So if my arm is twisted, there's one that I've really connected with. There are a few that I've connected with, but there's one that I try and um, employ every day. And I tell as many people as I can about it. And it's from uh, a guy that I found. His name is Steve Nudelberg. He's, uh, he's a sales guy out of Florida. And what he says is, is very, very interesting. So he's, his whole thing is, so when we, when we greet each other, sometimes we say, hey, how are you? How are you doing? And our responses are usually very short. They're not personal. And very often, they're negative. When someone asks you, how are you? Like, ah, my back hurts, or ah, I didn't sleep last night, my wife, my dog, my neighbor, all these things. We, we very often go to the negative. And his idea on flipping that around is instead of saying, how are you? He likes to say, hey, Ken, um, tell me something good. And what that does is it immediately puts the person in a position where he has to or she has to dig in there and think about something positive to share with you. Mm. And what ends up happening is you have a conversation about something that's positive to them, something that made them feel good. And they associate that feeling with you. And now you've become that person who reminded them of something good, brought something good out of them. And the more interactions like that that you have, the better off your interactions are in general. And so there are so many little lessons like that that I've found through the podcast, but that's something I'd like to share uh, as often as possible. Mm. Oh, for sure. Well, thank you for that. Now, you also mentioned about uh, having some lessons that you've learned as a coach and these character traits or qualities that are important for success in life. What, so what are some of those things that would benefit the audience generally too that you could share with them today? So I feel that as a coach, but in any kind of company, in any kind of organization, the lifeblood of the organization isn't what you do, is the people who are doing what you're doing. And, um, you know, as a young coach, I've been – I've been uh, guilty of forgetting that it's about the people who execute the, the ideas and it's not just about the ideas. And so as I get older, I understand that you, you have to invest as much time in people as you can. Uh, you may not get to do everything on your to-do list, but people need to be at the top of that to-do list and making sure that you check on people, making sure they're okay, making sure that you listen. 
and making sure that you serve someone every day. And so if you come from that kind of uh, mentality of serving someone, of being a servant leader, of going to check on someone every day, it pays dividends and people will run through a wall for you just because they know you care about them. And then you can do pretty much anything you want to do. Mm. By the way, how did you get the job as assistant coach in North Carolina? Uh, that is that is a perfect segue because it, it's a direct example of what I just said. Um, I, well, I just knew it. That's just the kind of host <laughs> I am. I, just, I was reading your mind. Apparently. Apparently. Um, so here's here's the story. So I met a person on uh, on Facebook about 12, 13 years ago. She's an ex WNBA player, although I didn't know that at the time. She was just somebody who shared something on Facebook that I found interesting in basketball. And so we started talking. At the time, she was coaching in China. She was um, working at a skills academy for a very uh, renowned. Um, basketball skills trainer and so we were kind of in the same place I was working with young players she was working with young players and we're each on our own path and we obviously stayed in touch throughout those years um, 12 years talking once a month twice a month however you know many times and then fast forward um, to three years ago I was sitting at home my wife and I just found out that she was pregnant with our third and uh, and then I lost my job. I was a head coach in Massachusetts and where we lived at the time and I lost my job. And so it was a very tough time and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to work my work my network and try and find jobs and fill out applications. I've literally filled out 107 applications that I heard no. Um, I heard no to those applications. So I have a whole spreadsheet and everything. So it was a very, very low time in my life. And so all of a sudden, I get a phone call from the head coach here, and she says, hi, my name is Trina Patterson, and um, I got your number from uh, from Coach Curry, and she said I should um, talk to you about a position that I have open. And I said, uh, what? Who are you? I had no idea that a Division One head coach is calling me about a job. My friend from 12 years ago from Facebook was the one who put in a good word for me for this job. And so by investing in a relationship 12 years before that, that I had no idea was going to blossom into something that's beneficial to both of us. And there was no agenda. There was nothing there. It was just two people connecting and staying in touch and helping each other out every step of the way. It turned into an opportunity. And, uh, and that's how I basically got the job. I was, I was, you know, more than qualified for it, but I needed someone to come out and vouch for me and say, Hey coach, you need to look at this applicant. Uh, he might be somebody that, that you want to um, take a look at. And so that allowed me to have a seat at the table and interview for the job and, and, you know, come out and improve myself. And, and how's yeah, it gone I, so far? Are you enjoying it, uh, <laughs> coaching at this level? Absolutely. I love it. This is a dream come true. I can't believe they're paying me for this. I would do this for free um, if I could. I'm going to repay that clip, send it to uh, the administrators at the college. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will deny that. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, invest in people and, and you never know what's going to happen. Now, That's I think just so that the listeners heard it, is that you had over a hundred applications 
four coaching positions where you didn't get an affirmative or a yes or were interested in you. But yes. uh, so that, that's the power of persistence for sure. But I want to scroll back. You slipped something into this story, Ido, that kind of just happened, and that was, oh, we're expecting our third. So somewhere in there you got married, had <laughs> yes. two children, then a third child. Uh, like where, where did the other half, uh, your partner, your life partner come from? Where, do, where, where's that story? So when I mentioned in New York that I was kind of drifting and, and not really sure what I was going to do, I was bartending at the time. And so um, I met my wife at, at the bar that I was working at. And um, she was from Massachusetts. We we kind of moved on pretty quickly. Uh, it, it was just such a great fit, and it still is. And, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we're living in Massachusetts, and we have twin, they're now, they now five-and-a-half-year-old um, girls, and um, at the time, we were expecting our third, who is now a two-and-a-half-year-old boy. So Cool, yeah. cool. And uh, now, what, what profession was your wife in, or is she in, or is she does? She, yeah, she was also a bartender and server at the time, but in her education and what she did for most of her life, she was, a, uh, she was working in theater. She was an actor, a theater actor, and a, uh, and a dancer as well. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know that uh, my wife, who is a professional teacher by, by trade, um, she worked as a restaurant uh, hostess for mm -hmm. all her years of going to school. So I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, welcome to the uh, service industry for all us students while we were growing up, for sure. I love so, it. So we only have a few, a few minutes left, if you can <clears throat> believe it. This is a little bit longer than your 10-minute podcast. Uh, yeah, just but, a little. Uh, so, you know, what, what we really want to do on Secrets of Success is to say, you know, if you could, first of all, if people want to get a hold of you, what are your um, sort of your website or other contact info if people want to find out more about your work and what you're doing? Sure. So uh, if you want to find out more about the podcast, uh, you can go to onelastthoughtpod.com. And everything is there, all the links to social media or all the episodes are there. Uh, if you wanted to get a hold of me, you can do that through the website as well. And if you wanted to uh, talk to me about basketball, all you got to do is look at the UMCG Women's Basketball website. All of my contact information is there. I'm, I'm fairly easy to find. And so uh, any of the listeners who want to talk about anything from podcasting to inspiration to basketball, I, I am an open book. Awesome. So, Ido, as we sort of wrap up this episode, what would be the final pieces of wisdom? Then what would you want the listeners to consider as we depart today? Uh, that, is, that is a really good question. I always like it when someone flips, the, flips my question on me. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I could hope, that I would hope for, for people um, – all over the world is to employ a little bit more empathy and what I mean by that is we need to we need to kind of flip the script I think it's so easy to judge and it's so hard to empathize and I've been guilty of that in the past before and and, and I have been I I'm catching myself doing that sometimes uh, currently and so I have to train myself to not judge and I know I've been in so many situations where I've judged someone prematurely and then more information came to light and I felt completely stupid. 
And, and I don't think that's unique to me. I think that's something that happens to a lot of people. And I think if we can train ourselves not to judge, but to think, well, maybe this person is having a really bad day. Maybe they're behaving this way because they just lost a parent or they just lost their job. Maybe they're not like that every day. You know, it's, it's just so easy to judge. And so I hope that we can be a little bit more empathetic and, um, and understand that everything that happens has context that we might not have. And so by judging, we don't have the full picture. And so I, I think it's just foolish. I think we just need to be more empathetic and, um, and yeah, be kinder to one another. I think that'll go a long way in 2021. Mm. Well, thank you, Ido, uh, for joining us and hanging out on our podcast today. I appreciate you so much for having me on. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Well, stay with us, Ido. So you've been listening to Ido Singer. His podcast is One Last Thought, and then at pod.com is the website, but you'd be able to find that on pretty well any platform that's out there. So he has a bunch of legacy episodes that you can go and capture this wisdom from all these different sources that he has so passionately edited and produced for you. But one of the things I want to challenge you as a listener is, you know, just think about Ido's journey. You know, coming from Israel, uh, giving up to a certain extent this passion for basketball and then coming through the back door to relive it through um, the service towards other players and especially women's uh, basketball and at the same time being persistent where there was over a hundred applications to be a coach and said sorry not now not here yet at the same time have another door open for him because that's where he wanted to go so that is true for you too can you find your why can you have a contribution and a legacy and be empathetic towards others as always I thank you for being a listener, for providing your most valuable commodity, your time. If you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.